Hello, my name is Greta Harrison. Welcome to Born Fabulous, where we speak with parents and accomplished individuals who just happen to have disabilities. You're about to hear episode 10, which is the second part of a five-part interview with Jeannie Harris. Jeannie is the mother of Tim Harris. Tim is famous for owning Tim's Place, a restaurant that listed free hugs on the menu. Tim currently has a very successful public speaking career. He is 33 years old and has already had a very exciting life full of travel and meeting wonderful people such as President Obama. Tim happens to have Down syndrome. Jeannie is a retired former business owner. She and her husband of 38 years, Keith, have four sons. They also love to travel, often as sailors. Jeannie calls herself a student of life. We met at one of Tim's speeches years ago. Now, please enjoy this clip of Love is a Potion. The lyrics were written by Melissa Riggio, who was the focus of episodes one through four. The music and voice are by Rachel Fuller. Let's talk about um, what are Tim's hopes and dreams for the future? Oh, he, you know, the kid never stops dreaming. I call him a kid. He is in his 30s. Um, but uh, he loves giving speeches, wants to continue to do that. Uh, he has dreams of another business. He, he wants to get into the microbrew business. Who knows? I I never downplay what this what he says his dreams are. <laughs> um, so if he does any kind of other business similar to his restaurant, it, it might be something more like that. We're we're exploring that right now. Um, he, he got so busy with his speeches that the the last year or so of his restaurant was a little tough because people. The restaurant had become famous for coming in to see Tim and get a hug, and he was gone so much giving speeches that it was actually a bit of a problem towards the end of his restaurant. And when when we closed it down, we asked him, you know, do we do you want to do you want to do a restaurant? What what's your plans? And he said, right now I just really like giving my speeches. So that's part of his dream: continue giving speeches, looking at possibly another business with a partner. He's looking for a business partner. And then of course, to find the right woman to date and marry. That's his next biggest dream. Mm. He's ready to, he's ready to mingle ladies. He's ready. (laughs) And that's a dream that we all have for all our children, isn't it? We want them all to be happy. We want them to be happy. We don't want them to be alone. Um, And you know, we just want them to have as close to the life that they want that they can have. And that's different for everyone. I realized Tim wanted right away to go to college. He wanted to live on his own, in his own apartment. I know that's not everybody's dream, right? 
So it's looking at, you know, what is, what is your child want? What do you want for them? And find some kind of blend that works. Let's, since we're talking about Tim and, and how he wants to be married someday, let's talk about dating. That's something that I think all parents who have children who are older teens and above are interested in discussing, especially when there's uh, special needs involved or disabilities. It becomes just a little more complex. How's that? So tell us a little bit about dating. Well, it is complex. And I think that um, one thing that um, has been imprinted in our family is we we want and expect to and have for a long time expect him to have as normal life as possible. And that is like with accommodations for him having down syndrome and all that. And we had those same expectations when it came to dating life. Well, as it turns out, he needs a little bit more help in that area. Um, he, he, I thought it was just a phase, but starting in high school, you know, he, or in college, he'd meet a girl, funny story in college. I hope he's not embarrassed that I say this, but he went, um, back for his second year. And the first day he met a girl and he called me up and he said, mom, I met a girl. I think she's the one. I went, oh my gosh, really? What's her name? He goes, just a minute. Hey, what's your name? (laughs) (laughs) And I tell you that story just to really imprint the fact that here's a man who was 19 years old, who, I mean, they, he feels what he feels in the moment right now. And you know, when that comes to dating, that, there's no discernment. This girl likes me. I like her. She's the one. And then he'll start saying, you are the love of my life. He'll start serenading love songs. I hope she's tone deaf because he, he is. <laughs> um, he pours it on. And you know what, Greta? He really feels it. But he's, but he's only looking at it from that one perspective. And and we've had to drill into you date and we've had to make it really rote. Okay. If you date a girl, you date her 10 times before you're allowed to say, I love you. I mean, we've tried that, but it's just, he gets so carried away with the emotion. And I found that to be true of the girls that he's dated too, um, that it's really hard to discern. Is this the one? Are they compatible? And this is where we have had to step out of our beliefs of letting, I guess, I guess we fell into the least restrictive environment mindset, right? Like, okay, here's a guy. He can meet a girl, tell us if he likes her, start dating. It, it just didn't work that way. And, um, and there's been some heartbreak because, they go on, they're, they're professing and claiming their love to each other and that they, they start talking about marriage on the second date. And then when it doesn't work out, that makes, that has made the breakups a lot harder on both of them. And it's been, it's been crushing. So we've, 
been really very careful about helping Tim more. The other challenge that we're having is he's not really finding very many girls today. Where are they? I, I don't know like where they are. It's a smaller dating pool, isn't it? It is. Yes. It's a smaller dating pool. But, but I, I do remember when I heard Tim speak in Richmond years ago, when you and I first met, that he mentioned a girl at that time who was driving. And I remember that was part of his speech that, and, and she drives bingo or something like bonus. that. He was, yeah, bonus. That's right. Bonus. Yeah. I remember him saying that. So, um, and, and she did not have Down syndrome. I don't even know if she had a disability and I'm just saying she did have a disability, but I'm just saying that the, the window is, is bigger than just your specific disability. Oh, and, absolutely. And, and it, yeah. it could be somebody with autism or another disability. Right. Tim has actually yeah. dated more girls without Down syndrome than with. I can, I, I, I believe that. I, yeah. I believe that. But so. He's never dated somebody without a disability. Oh, who is his, who is his celebrity crush? Oh my who, gosh. Well, ooh, who does he like now? He used to like Miley Cyrus, but that was back in her, when she had her little TV show. When she was Hannah Montana. Hannah Montana, yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, we're going to have to ask Tim that. I don't know. Okay, I will ask Tim that. When I get to talk to him, I, and he, that is something I look forward to doing, I will ask him that. So let's switch gears here, and let's talk about when Tim was born. Uh, what was the experience like? Did you did you know he was gonna? Did you know before he was born he had Down syndrome, et cetera? Go ahead and describe that whole um, experience. Tim was born. I was twenty seven years old, um, with no expectation or you know any indication that there were any problems. Um, he was my second son. My his older brother was um, almost two when Tim was born, and. Uh, just seemed like a normal delivery. Um, and four hours later, uh, the pediatrician came in, you know, in hindsight, like we, we didn't pick up on it, but the nurses at, at the birth and the OBGYN who delivered them, they were really quiet and subdued but that we didn't pick up on that until afterwards, but they knew, but what they wanted to get a complete diagnosis, a confirming diagnosis from the pediatrician. Um, so we went through the whole called all the families. We have another baby. It's a boy, all that. And then four hours later got the news and um, had to call everybody back. And I couldn't do it. My husband did, but um it was a shock. It was, I didn't even know. I mean, they used the words Down syndrome, but I didn't know what that was. He was born in 1986. So it wasn't an uncommon term. I just had never heard it. Um, didn't know what that meant. I had some horrible visions of some things that I'd seen as a, a child, uh, a young teenager in a state home when they still had those. And, um, that was the vision that I had and, um, it, it, it shook our world. And what did you, what did you think of how the doctors delivered the news to you? Well, I think it's easy to 
when I look back on it, it's easy. You want to find some place to put your angst. And I spent quite a bit of time putting my angst on this OBGYN. Like he knew, why didn't he tell us all that? Why put us through that? But um, when I look back on the whole picture, the pediatrician was amazing and the right person to tell us the news. He came into the room. He, the ba- Tim was very jaundiced. And so he was in an incubator and he came into my hospital room and, you know, tapped Keith on the shoulder and, and said, can I talk to you? And took Keith, you know, down the long hall walk, he calls it. Um, you know, it's kind of like one of those things, you know, something's going on, but you don't know what. And he told Keith separately and then gave Keith the choice. Would you like me to go in and tell your wife or do you want to tell her? Or do you want us both to go and, and, and Keith, no, let me, I'll, I'll tell her. And so he comes back in the room and just, I saw the look on his face and I, I'll never forget this moment. Like when he walked through that door, I like, was on the hospital bed backing up going no like that. Cause I just knew something was coming. I didn't know what. And so um, Keith wisely chose to be the one to tell me. And then um, what happened after that was, was amazing. So uh, we were living in Pennsylvania at the time and um, there was a social worker who came to us. We didn't have the internet then, you know, 1986. And um, we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have a way to look up any information. And this social worker just came. And as soon as she found out that he had Down syndrome, she went to the library, I think she must have stayed at the photocopier for hours. And she brought us a stack of papers, six inches thick with everything she could find on Down syndrome. And my husband took it home. Oh, and by the way, and I don't know if this still happens, but the doctor did say a little bit later, he told us two things, one positive, one negative. One was there's a local parent group. Here's the number. If you want to talk to somebody else, here's somebody to talk to. And two, you know, there are places, institutions where your baby could go. So I guess it was still an option then. It certainly wasn't an option in my book. But um, but anyway, so um, we did have the benefit of a, a local parent-to-parent group who were there on call for people who first got the news. And, what's, and you said Tim was jaundiced. Besides that, was he healthy or? He was healthy, fortunately. Okay. okay. And lessons learned from that? From his his birth experience, any lessons learned, do you think? Uh, you know, that's such an individual thing. But I mean, the, the knowledge that we were able to get about Down syndrome was really helpful to both my husband and I. Um, and as it was really, really hard for me. But reaching out and talking to those other parents, that was a lifesaver for me. And I couldn't even make that call. My husband who was such a strength during those times um, first called and talked to this mother. And the day we brought Tim home from the hospital, they came over with their little, their two and a half year old bundle of joy. And the most magical thing that happened was when they came up to our door, 
she kind of burst in through the door and she came right up to me and gave me a big hug. And then she went off and played with my two-year-old. Can I tell you how comforting that was? The hug was amazing. But what was even more amazing was her at two and a half going and playing with my two-year-old son. Like I wasn't picturing anything normal at that time in my life. And so my advice there is to know that even, and sometimes it takes longer than others. And sometimes there's medical issues, but, but a sense of normalcy comes, um, it, it comes back and it's actually better than normal. But somebody t- could have told me that then, and I probably would have felt like slapping them. So <laughs> I remember seeing a book because we knew before Yazzie was born. So I remember reading a book, and it was a book about child development. And the whole theme of the book was, remember, this is a child, and they're going to have milestones just like any other child. And whether they're at the exact same time or not is really insignificant. And that was a big wake-up for me, and that was wonderful. That was my wake-up that, okay, this is a baby. Just like, and let's be happy it's a baby. Yeah. Right? People will, people will need to know, like, um, like your family. They don't know whether to send you a sympathy card or a congratulations card, Right. And they, they are going to get their cues from you. That is so, you mentioned that and you're reminding me that one of my dear friends gave me a baby shower. And I was so grateful because finally people were celebrating that it was, a, that I was going to have this beautiful baby girl, you know. And before that, as you said, they didn't know what to say. And having that baby shower, Barb, I'm mentioning you. I'm grateful for that shower. So, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, so now Tim is born, and we know that Tim was born fabulous. So tell us about Tim as a toddler. How was he as a toddler? Oh, my. He, he you know, he's like what we were just talking about is try not to read the developmental charts because everything was quite a bit slower than his brother. Um, and uh, he didn't really talk much until he was almost three. Um, It just seemed like he was just putting everything he had into his large muscle development. And so we did, we use sign language as a bridge, which I, and that's just one little thing that was, I was, oh, by the way, he was in early intervention um, starting at age three weeks, which I think, I don't know how much of a difference that made for Tim, but it certainly made a difference for me. Like, I was driven to do whatever I could to help him be the best that he could be. And, um, and I don't mean that. I didn't mean that literally. I do believe in early intervention in helping the child, you know, especially if parents are having trouble accepting or adjusting your child gets the help that they need from a very early age. It makes all the difference. And so then, um, so at early intervention, they asked me if they, if they could use sign language with Tim. And I was really scared because I thought, well, if we start using sign language, does that mean then that he won't feel like he needs to learn to talk or he'll replace sign language with talk and that, that'll make his life harder. You know, you go through these things and they can reverberate in your head. And, um, but we decided to go ahead and, and 
and try and, oh my gosh, it was such a bridge to his language that I, I, I actually have a niece who has um, two children now, a, a two-year-old and a newborn, and they have, they do not have disabilities, but she uses sign language. Um, she teaches in a, a class for, of, um, she's a school teacher and teaches children with autism um, and has seen the benefits just in her own children of being able to use sign language as a bridge to language. So that was Tim. Um, and, and I like to say that because we're fortunate. Tim is a very clear speaker, which is part of not just his personality that makes him a good speaker because there's a lot of good personality. He can speak clearly when he wants to. <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't always, um, just like any of us, if you're tired, your speech isn't as clear as, or, or if you're in front of people, your speech might be a little bit clearer. My speech is probably clearer right now talking to you than it would be if I was just sitting there having a cup of coffee with my husband. Right. And you know, Tim's the same way. And, um, I, but I like people to know, like, I know how it is to compare and Tim has a lot of gifts in his personality and his ability to, to speak clearly, but he didn't always. And, you know, speech therapy and the expectation in your family to help them to, I hated it sometimes, but his brothers would tease him. Tim got a job at Red Robin in high school. He couldn't say his R's. So he had to say, he would say, Welcome to Wed Wobbin. And his, and his manager's name was Wuss. And his <laughs> oh, Tim, welcome to Wed Wobbin. Eh? And he'd go, it's Red Robin. You know, they made it, you know, they, they, you know, they treated him like a brother, right? Not like somebody special. That's, and that's another part of Tim's growing up story and making him, a normal part of our life rather than a special part. There's a, there's a video, by the way, that I, I was, I was laying awake thinking of this this morning. Like if you were to ask me what, what messages uh, I got that were helpful for me, there's a video, it's a Ted talk out there and I can't remember the, the name of it, but I will send the link to you. And it was about this couple who got a son with a diagnosis I don't know what the diagnosis was, but as they were talking through their, their coming to acceptance of it and their observations of him in therapy and the dad, they all of a sudden they realized that their son was mirroring what was going on, but like they were holding a stick in front of his face and, and, and he was following it. And then when they watched more closely, he was mirroring facial expressions of what people were doing on their face. And it dawned on him, if we're crying and we're sad and we're upset, he's mirroring that. I mean, that just, that just gives me goosebumps to think those little people, those beautiful babies, and you see their problems, not, not particularly them as a problem, but you see their problems and your story of seeing people seeing a baby is so important because they're 
going to, they're reflecting back what you're showing them. That's true. And you're talking about the angst and the worry being translated to the child. Right. I, I look forward to seeing that link. I'm I sure that's that. a good link. So when, when uh, Tim was a toddler, was he, I envision him being rambunctious. I envision him um, playing with everybody and being very outgoing. Is that Tim? Was that Tim as a toddler? Oh, yeah. He's very rambunctious. He, um, yeah, he just, um, he joined right in with his big brother. He wanted to do whatever his big brother was doing. Um, so, you know, when it came time to climbing up a ladder and going down a slide, if he saw his brother, how much, how, you know, being around other kids like is so helpful. Like even if your child is the first child, like, like they learn so much more from other kids than they do from an adult trying to teach them how to go down a slide. Right. Just um, so, and, and also like including them wherever we went, we include, he went wherever we went, he went restaurants, movies, um, the park, the playground. Um, I had him go to, uh, I, I was lucky enough with, because we were business owners that I could be an at home mom and split my time. And so I got them into a mother's day out program so they could be with other kids and, um, really open like at every age with, with who Tim was, with his brothers and with him about having Down syndrome um, might have gone a little far with that. <laughs> um, I, I was just reminded of the story when, when, when Tim was a toddler, we went to this mother's day out program and I came to pick up the kids after a couple hours and my older son was in timeout. And I said, what did he do? And the teacher was trying really hard not to laugh. The, the woman running the program. And she said, well, um, I have to tell you, one of the other boys called another boy an idiot. And so your son hit him over the chair with a head and said, that's a bad word. <laughs> so. He, so, he, so he hit him over the head with the chair. He did it for the right reason, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. 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 Because that's, that's not a nice, nice thing. So <laughs> the power of siblings and the, the power the of siblings. Power of siblings um, and so tell me, tell us about Tim's preschool experience. Uh, oh, preschool. Um, so preschool, you know, in our world is we're talking birth to three and then he went to public school at age three, which okay. when I look back on that now and I see a three-year-old, it kind of blows my mind. Like we sent him on a bus to school at age three. Um, so it's these little things that you kind of go, all right. But, but our focus at the time was about getting him help, getting him all the advantages we could. Um, because by the, at that time, there's an acceptance that there are going to be some delays and that the more stimulation and the more help we can get them, the better. And I have to admit, Tim's preschool days um, I was quite intense and I was, you know, like in changing diapers, doing physical therapy with his legs. And, um, finally I actually had one of his preschool teachers Oh, there. She was a, one of them. She was a therapist. She said, 
you know what, Jeannie? She said, why don't you let me be the therapist? Because Tim really needs a mom. So I guess that kind of can give you a clue about how intensely, I mean, I, how, how intensely I cared and how much hope I had for him for the future. Um, but I almost forgot that part about he's a child, he needs love, he needs to be fed and held and read to and played with, right? Not just this single focus on he needs help, he needs help, he needs help, you know? So it was, that was a, a life lesson for me. And, you know, I'm sure Tim got the benefits of uh, my intensity, <laughs> but I'm sure he benefited even more after I settled down and just became his mom. I, re- I remember those days where you look at every single toy for its therapeutic effect. Yes. You know, what, what is the value of that toy instead of just it being a toy? Yeah. yeah. And every experience. So that's a good lesson. That's a good lesson. Thank you for listening to the 10th episode of Born Fabulous. I hope you enjoyed it and want to hear more. In episode 11, Jeannie talks about Tim's elementary to high school years and the need to let go. She does this with the same calm nature and style that you just heard. That episode comes out June 7th. To learn more about Tim and see some photos and videos, go to www.bornfabulouspodcast.com. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Born Fabulous Podcast on iTunes or any podcast directory, including Alexa. Please like us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a YouTube channel. Now please enjoy this clip of The Ring. Lyrics are by Melissa Riggio, who was the subject of episodes one through four. The music and voice are by Rachel Fuller. Broken